thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. is a bit obsessed with things that are the longest. This is uh, she creeping, and she holds the record for the world's longest hair. Her hair was measured to be 5.627 metres. It's quite an effort, isn't it? This is Diana Armstrong. She's broken the record for the longest fingernails on a pair of hands, measuring 1.3 metres. The mind boggles. This is the longest tongue. It measures 10.1 centimetre and belongs to Nick Stobel. We're fascinated with things that are long, aren't we? Not just the weird and the wonderful, but we remember longests in our own lives. The longest non-stop travel I've done internationally was 46 hours door to door. It is seared in my memory. The longest I've ever been away from home from Karen and the kids was just over three months before I saw them again. The longest church service I ever went to was six hours long in four hour in Malaita in the Solomon Islands. <laughs> Longests make an impression on us, don't they? Today we hit the longest chapter in Genesis at 67 verses, which might come with the fear that this will be a particularly long sermon. Well, I'm going to try and avoid that today by just touching down in a few different places. There are probably, honestly, four or five different sermons that you could give if you broke this chapter down, but we're just going to touch down. We are not going to be working through verse by verse as we journey with Abraham's servant to find Isaac a wife. We're going to stop along the way on his journey, taking note of three particular ways that we see God's providence at work in the cosmic which is the grand narrative, the big story of God working out his salvation for all people from the beginning of humanity until our redemption at Jesus' return, and also in the lives of individuals as they walk through this episode together. Because of God's providence, there are three things that we're going to remind ourselves of this morning. Firstly, that believers pass on God's purpose to the next generation, verses 1 to 9. And then that believers can be confident that God leads them in his purpose, verses 10 to 27. And finally, that believers must give priority to God's work, confident he will complete it, verses 28 to 67. Before we launch in, why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this chapter of Genesis, which shows us so much and is so rich. Thank you that it points to your providence both at a salvation cosmic level and in the lives of very ordinary people. Lord, we pray that that would give us comfort and confidence as we think about the way you're working out your salvation in the world today and the way that you provide for us and guide us and lead us in our own lives as individuals and as a church. Speak to us. By your word we pray. Amen. Well, if you just cast your mind back to last week, if you were with us, we saw Abraham facing a crisis moment. I described it as him standing on a precipice after his wife Sarah's death. He was faced with a choice. He could go back to his homeland, he could follow his tradition and do what his ancestors had always done to bury his wife, 
or he could bury her here in Hebron in Canaan, a land that wasn't his own, that had no security. And we saw that Abraham trusted in God's faithful promise to give him this land as the inheritance of his people. Sarah hadn't seen that promise come to pass, and it started to dawn on Abraham that he might not either. But he acted in faith, believing God's covenant promises, and buying this parcel of land to set up as an ancestral home for his people for the future. And now, as he nears the end of his days, he acts again in faith. He acts on the news that his brother has a growing family, which we heard at chapter 22, the end of that passage, so that they can now continue to pass on God's purpose for them to the next generation. He's near death, and he charges a trusted servant to carry out his dying wish, to find a wife for his son, not from the Canaanites, but from his own people, and not by taking Isaac back, but by bringing a wife here. So when the servant raises a problem in verse 5, what if I find a woman for your family and she won't come? Abraham rests again on God's loyalty to his promise. Right through this chapter, we see a Hebrew word appear time and time again. It's the word hesed. It's used to describe God's loyalty and his faithfulness to his covenant promise. That word tells us that God's promises will not fail. Abraham will inherit the land. He will become a great nation. And through his family, one day, the whole world will be blessed. Abraham is confident. And that's why this word hesed appears when he talks. He talks about how God has already sworn to him that this will come to pass. And in verse 7, he elaborates for the servant further. And because God has sworn to Abraham... The servant can also swear with the same sense of hesed faithfulness to Abraham. And so he packs up. He makes the journey to a faraway place, to Mesopotamia, to an unknown people, much longer than the 46 hours it took me to get from Jordan back to New Zealand. And off he goes to make this journey so that he will see God's covenant promises continued in another generation. If you're a regular member of this church and you've glanced at the vision casting booklet that was emailed to you on Friday and is now in your hand today, you'll see that the proposed vision for this church takes the responsibility to pass on God's good news, his purpose to the next generation, really seriously. The church is being asked in this vision to widen its focus and seek ways to become intentionally intergenerational. Engaging with younger people as well as caring for our older people and holding that balance together so that we can do the same thing, so that we can pass on God's purpose to the next generation. That's the responsibility of every Christian person, to pass on the faith to the next generation. Some of us who are Christian parents are called to do that in our own homes. Christian grandparents and aunts and uncles Ephesians 6 has a particular warning for fathers. I think it's good for dads to be reminded, but it's got a lesson for all of us. Don't provoke your children to anger, dads. Oh, that's hard yakker, isn't it? There is something about dads that means we like to poke our kids and bring something out of them. So I'm thankful for that teaching. And here's the bit that applies to the rest of us, I think. But raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. There is a mandate for the Christian dad, for the Christian family. 
Many here in this church have raised their children faithfully in the Lord, teaching them, passing on instruction about the Lord, praying with young people, encouraging them to live out an active faith. And some of those children have gone on to do that to the glory of God. And others haven't. I think for parents raising children, the thought that they won't walk in God's ways is probably our greatest fear. And I expect for parents whose, children's cho- whose children choose not to, it's the greatest hurt that we've experienced. We labour and love the children in our care as parents, but also as a church community, so that we can teach them about Jesus honestly, faithfully, dynamically, We teach them with our words and our lives as we teach both from God's word and model his way of living. But here in the servant's response, we are reminded of God's gracious providence. See, with the success or failure of the mission left up to the providence of God, the service servant got on and did what he needed to. He executed the oath that he'd made, swearing to do his part, passing on God's purpose. There is our responsibility to faithfully do our part. Now, we are responsible for the outcome if we've been faithful. But teaching and praying, encouraging and seeking the heart transformation of the next generation, that is our responsibility. Whether they respond to Jesus or not rests with God and God alone. So as a church, we are called to heart transform, to teach, to pass on the purposes of God to the next generation. Whether they're your children or someone else's children, we can be absolutely confident in the providence of God as we take on that task. In this passage, there's another way we see God's providence at work, as the servant's prayer in verse 12 is answered. The servant has just exercised hesed. He's packed up a train of camels and set off to find Isaac a wife. He doesn't just step out with what he needs practically. He steps out with faith that God will lead him and guide him and answer him. It's why he can ask this prayer. I wonder if you've ever been landed or stranded in a strange country. It's overwhelming, isn't it? I think you can probably identify with his plight as he comes to the spring. Where is he even going to start in this strange place? He's gone all the way from Canaan to Mesopotamia. He comes up against a moment of tension. There's another crisis point here. The whole purpose of God could be derailed if the servant can't identify the right choice of a wife for Isaac. And so the servant prays that God would be faithful, that he would be loyal, that he would show hesed to his master Abraham. He asks that that graciousness would be extended in verses 12 to 14 to his master. And that from among the townswomen, the right woman would be identified by God through the circumstances he describes in his prayer. He asks God to show him the right woman with her responses to his request for water, that she would draw for him. That as a foreigner and stranger, she would even show kindness and tend to his camels. Did you notice that even before he'd finished praying, Rebecca came on the scene? There is God's providence. The servant is praying and asking God to show him the right person, but even more, the wife with the right character for Isaac. The details of his prayer aren't arbitrarily chosen. They indicate a kind and industrious nature in Rebecca, someone who is hospitable. The servant, to help work out God's purpose, needed confirmation 
that the woman would be the right woman as he faithfully carried out what Abraham had asked him. God led him. And God didn't just lead him to the right place, to the right spring at the right time, but he led him to the very woman that he was to approach, Rebekah. The servant saw God answer his prayer as he stepped out in faith to carry God's purposes. So believers also can be confident that God leads us in his purpose. In our church life, that reminder matters right now. As we consider the proposed vision before us and trust in God's leading, it's scary, isn't it, thinking about how we might order our church life for the next three to five years. That can be a bit frightening. We want to get it right. Regardless of our vision and plans, Christians believe that God is at work as we act with faith to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And as we see God's faithfulness to us in that, we can respond like the servant in verses 26 and 27. His prayer was answered. And he bowed low, and he acknowledged God's goodness. He acknowledged and gave thanks to God for his hesed faithfulness, his loyalty to the promise to Abraham. His confidence that God would lead him as he sought faithfully to carry out his oath to Abraham for God's purposes results in tremendous praise as God's faithfulness is shown. But even as he's seen God's faithfulness thus far, The future is not yet secure. There is now another tension. Is Rebecca willing to leave her home and her people to go with him? This is a long section of the text, verses 28 to 67. And we've missed a large portion of it this morning, not because it's not valuable, but because much of it is repeated as the servant recounts to Rebecca's father and brother what has led him to their door and their home. The servant, after hearing from Rebecca where he needed to go to, she leads him to her home to speak with her father and brother. He's welcomed into the family home so that he can tell them of his purpose. Why has he approached Rebecca in this way? Why has he provided her with such extravagant gifts, a gold nose ring and bracelets? And as he comes to the home, the first thing they offer him is typical hospitality. Verse 33, food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Before anything else, even before taking care of his own physical needs, the servant gives priority to the work of God. There are two other potential moments which could have derailed the fulfillment of God's purpose. One is that her family may have chosen not to consent to the marriage, which looms in verses 34 to 49. As the servant recounted all that had happened, there was no guarantee that Rebecca's family would agree to her leaving them. You can imagine the tension that he must have been feeling. It must have been running high. But the conflict moment is resolved. In verses 50 to 51, when Laban and Bethuel both recognize God's hand of providence in this situation and confess, this is from the Lord, verse 50. The second moment that could have seen this all go spiraling out of control is when Rebecca's brother and mother tried to delay her departure in verse 55. Maybe over the next 10 days, she would have got cold feet or a better offer. We're not sure what their motivation was, but they wanted to hold her there, 
Now, she was already carrying bride price, and as a bargaining chip, that starts to look attractive if you want to cash in on marrying off your daughter. But even there, God's providence shines through. As Rebecca consents to the appeal of the servant to go now, and they make their way quickly back to Abraham and Isaac. God is faithful to the servant as he carries out his work towards God's purposes. God is faithful to all of his people as they carry out his work towards his purposes. The servant has been faithful, believing that God will work as he goes on this crazy mission to find a wife for Abraham's son. In all of this chapter, God has been at work. In what is absolutely characteristic faithful loyalty, he said to his covenant promises. As the servant has kept God's purpose as his first priority, even before food or the opportunity to rest, God has been faithful to him. As he has loyally remained faithful to God prioritizing his purpose above all else. Did you notice that as much as God is working out his plans for salvation, bringing about a wife for Isaac so that Abraham's family might continue to grow, so that one day they will continue this growth within the land, that one day Jesus will come from their family, did you notice that as much as God is working out his plans for salvation, for everybody who would trust in Jesus through this family, he was also at work in the details of the lives of the individuals. God cared about Abraham, and he worked in his circumstances, providing for him a faithful servant who would carry out this last great action when he was too old to go and do it himself. God cared about the servant, hearing his prayer, and meeting the conditions that he laid before him so that he could be certain and assured. God cared about Rebekah and Isaac helping them to find compatibility and for Isaac comfort after his mother's death, verse 67. And we're even told that he loved Rebecca. That is not a given in the day that this is being written. At every step, God has acted with faithful loyalty, with chesed to his covenant promise. And he does the same towards us today. There is nowhere in all of human history, where God's chesed faithfulness is seen more clearly than on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the climactic event of salvation. His death on the cross is the center point of human history, where God's highest level cosmic plans are coming to their highest point. And God in his providence, even in that moment of the greatest cosmic action he will ever perform, touches the life of an individual. Who am I talking about? What individual? The thief on the cross. In Matthew's gospel, both thieves are heaping abuse on Jesus. They're reviling him. But by the time Luke is putting together chapter 23, something has switched in the story. There has been a change of heart in the life of one of the thieves. Instead of reviling Jesus, instead of mocking him like everybody else, he now confesses Jesus as king. 
on the right day, at the right moment, in the midst of the fulfillment of the greatest cosmic event in human history, atonement by Jesus, our substitution, taking God's wrath and making a full satisfaction for the sins of the world. A man who has been sentenced to death hears and responds to the message of salvation which is playing out in front of him. It was no accident that that thief was crucified next to our Lord. As God works out his redemption purpose, with chesed faithfulness, he provides the spotless lamb to take away the sins of the world. He defeats Satan and death, and at the same time shows saving grace to a man with a heart which reviled Jesus and saw him destined to hell. And instead he hears these words from his Lord and Saviour. Today, you will be with me in paradise. God's providence is astounding, isn't it? It is mind-blowing to think that the creator of the universe and all of the high-level stuff that our puny brains could never fully understand reaches into the lives and hearts of individual people to provide them all that they need to bring them safely home in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's providence. Abraham had every reason to trust in God's loyalty and faithfulness to his covenant promises. He sent his servant to find the wife that God would provide so that the promise would continue to the next generation. The servant had every reason to trust in God's loyalty and faithfulness to his covenant promises. He saw how God answered his prayer providentially. In the right place at the right time, he was able to find Rebecca, the very person who would see God's covenant people continue to grow so that one day they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and live in the cities of their enemies. As individual Christians... We have every reason to trust in God's loyalty and faithfulness to his covenant promises. We've been bought at a great cost by a covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus, a covenant which he is faithful to even when we are in moments of doubt and fear, a covenant that is being worked out in our lives as we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ and equipped by the Holy Spirit at work in us by his word to help us with our mission and ministry, healing us, restoring us, so that we might have life in all its fullness and not just life on this earth, but life into eternity with our God. As a church community, we have every reason to trust in God's loyalty and faithfulness to his covenant promises. As we stand and meet and make big decisions which will impact our work and witness for the next three and a half years, we have every confidence in the Lord Jesus. There are wonderful reassurances for us in this chapter of Genesis as a whole parish as we remember these same truths and reposition our church life to share in God's purposes for the world and make his covenant promises in Jesus known. God provides. What a wonderful reminder we've had this morning. We know it, don't we, that God provides. And we've been shown again that even as he carries out his cosmic purpose of salvation, bringing blessing not just on a global but a universal scale, superseding time and space, 
the creator of the universe, the almighty, the holy one, the Lord, interests himself in the events of the everyday lives of his people. God's steadfast faithfulness, as he said, is made known to his people. In the big and the small, in the grand and the common, in the cosmic and the mundane, in the moments where the saving grace of Jesus is made known and a heart is set alight by the Holy Spirit and transformed as an individual believes on Jesus for salvation. And so, friends, we respond with thankful awe that God would care for me, that God would care for you, like he cared for Abraham and the servant and Isaac and Rebekah and even a thief condemned to die on a cross. We respond with thankful awe and we respond with joy-filled confidence that in the moments that the gospel is shared, when saving grace in Jesus is made known, that hearts are changed and individuals as part of God's glorious cosmic plan move from death to life in fulfillment of this steadfast, faithful, hesed promise. Church, that should mobilize us to step out with faith in the faithfulness of the God who is bringing salvation. Why don't we pray and ask that he would mobilize us to that as we trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, these ancient words apply to our lives today. Lord, that is mind-blowing. So think that this story would have some kind of bearing on how we live out our faith in 2023. Lord, we ask that you would continue to help us. Continue to help us have confidence in you. Help us to pass on your purpose to the next generation. Help us to remember that you will lead us in your purpose as we give priority to your work, confident that you will complete it. Lord, we are broken and weak, but we know that you are holy and strong. And so that you, we ask that you would work in and through us, enlarging your kingdom and seeing your covenant promises come to pass to the glory of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and ask it. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>